0: With Al Horton's departure last year, and now Gary's interest in singing everything, particularly football songs, it has fallen to me, the lowly and humble associate pastor, to make sure you all still get the benefit of your clergy's seminary learning, which includes all the big fancy theological words that help us articulate the complex components of our faith. So, this sermon is uh, titled Perichoresis and the Tension of the Incarnation. You should have heard Frank McMullen try to say it the other day. Perichoresis, Scott, we're getting a little buzz out here. A little buzzy? Nothing you can do about it? All right, great. Perichoresis is a Greek term used to describe the triune relationship between the person of the Godhead. It comes from two Greek words, peri, which means around, and korean, which means to give away or to make room. It could be translated as rotation or a going around. It refers to the way in which someone or something makes space around itself for others or something else. In our time together this morning, I invite you to think of it as a holy dance. A state of constant movement along with the giving and the taking of shared space. Tension. Scott, would it help if I use this microphone instead? Turn my mic off. Check, mic check. There we go. That was going to drive me crazy. Oh, it's even worse. (laughs) (laughs) In a minute, we're going to turn it all off. Yeah, let's try this one. How's that? Needy. (laughs) Gary, if you don't know I'm high maintenance by now. All right, here we go. Now I feel like Elvis. I got All right. So that's perichoresis. Holy dance, moving in and around, making space. Tension is still a common but complex word. Um, It can be this inner striving, this unrest, or an um, imbalance uh, that happens internally, this internal struggle. It has uh, physiological indications of emotion tied to it. It's this state of being pulled inside. It can also be a state of latent hostility between individuals or groups, tension. It can be a balance that is maintained in an artistic piece of work between opposing forces or elements. There's tension in this painting. It can be the act or the act of stretching. And lastly, it can be two balancing forces causing or tending to cause extension, like on a suspension bridge. That is a balanced tension. Lastly the word the incarnation. We usually hear this word around Christmas time as we retell the birth of Christ and the word incarnation is vital to our faith because it concerns the true nature of Christ. It tells us who he was and who he is. The Incarnation is the term that is used to describe what happened when the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, became flesh. In the Incarnation, the divine nature of the Son was perfectly united with human nature in one divine person. This person, Jesus Christ, is fully human and fully God, fully mortal and fully divine. It's why we have two candles on the altar. This is the place where the divine and the human meet. We'll come back to that. All three of these elements, perichoresis, tension and the incarnation are evidenced this morning in our gospel reading from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 43. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to page 65 in the New Testament. For those unfamiliar with that, the New Testament is in the back part of the Bible. Luke chapter 9. Verses 28 to 43, page 65. And we'll read through this together. We're going to stop every couple of verses and examine some of these elements. And as we do this, I invite you to reflect on Raphael's painting of the Transfiguration, which so definitively adorns our sanctuary. And I've taken some pictures of our painting to zoom in a little bit closer. So if you can't see it, that's uh, we got a problem. But hopefully, we can now see. It. Verse twenty-eight. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed; his clothes became dazzling white. Two quick things. If they were praying with their eyes closed, how would they know his face changed? Number one. Number two. Do y'all remember when Gary was explaining the complex relationship of the Trinity and showed us this super creepy picture of three-faced Jesus? Yeah, Raphael decidedly moved away from this style. But here we have scriptural evidence of something unusual happening. And we get a glimpse of what it might be like to be in the presence of the triune God. This might be what it looks like to see perichoresis up close with each one making space, moving in and around with the others in one supreme being. Verse 30, suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So in other words, two dead guys show up in the full glory of the afterlife. And they began to speak with Jesus about his own death. This, my friends, is the ultimate church council meeting. All right. And it's the ultimate illustration of this incarnate tension. Because before Jesus' crucifixion, God had no personal experience with death. The holy, infinite, and divine Son of God, the full indwelling of love, had to consult with mortals, with human beings, with those who knew what it was like to transition between this world and the next one. And the tension of the incarnation as demonstrated in the transfiguration is that Jesus exists in both of these planes of existence. He is fully divine and fully human. Two balancing forces. Verse 32. Those last little five words there, that's Luke's commentary. Luke says, Peter doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm going to disagree with Luke's commentary on Peter's request. I think Peter knew exactly what he was saying. Because if I found myself in the presence of light eternal, in the presence of the communion of saints, and I saw three-faced Jesus flying around... If I saw what is essentially the kingdom of God breaking through, I would never want to leave. Peter thought that this was it. He thought that this was the culmination of all that Jesus had been talking about and doing. Behold, the kingdom of God has come near. So Peter said, this is great. Let's set up the Wi-Fi and put on some coffee because the transformation of the world begins now. From this mountain, we will change the world. Let's set up shop, let's do it. Peter wanted to help. Peter wanted to save the world. This looked like the best opportunity to do it. So Peter said, let's go, but this was not to be. For this was a moment of tension. It was a moment of stretching the veil that exists between this world and the next one. But it wasn't the balanced tension that extends or maintains the connection. This was the tension of a God that was perhaps experiencing the very human emotions of inner striving, unrest, and imbalance Jesus is talking about his death and death is scary even for Christ verse 34 while Peter was saying this a cloud came and overshadowed them I took some artistic license a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were terrified as they entered the cloud Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. You listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent. And in those days, told no one of any of the things that they had seen on top of the mountain. They entered the cloud. It's one thing to be a witness to the holy dance and watch it from below, but it is another thing entirely to be enveloped by the divine spirit of God and invited into the confusing rhythm and movements of an eternal knowing, a knowing that speaks with the voice of creation itself. That's a whole nother experience hush hush god says the kingdom will indeed break through but not in any way that you can even begin to fathom be quiet peter listen peter i am in charge peter on the next day when they had come down from the mountain a great crowd met him. Just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly a spirit seizes him and all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. You see the sun on the bottom right in the blue. If you get it real close, you see the eyes are pointing in different directions. And the father says it will scarcely leave him the father said i begged your disciples to cast it out but they couldn't do it look at this fool down here on the left he's consulting the manual he's looking for the reset switch where to take out the batteries You got everyone else crowded around looking and pointing. It reminds me of those old pictures of early doctors when they first started to see how the human body worked, all standing around going, oh, yes, this is a problem. They need blood, all those things. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't do it. Jesus answered, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you Bring me your son. Jesus gets frustrated with people. That's a thing that happens. But Jesus still helps people. That's also a thing that happens. Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked, love that word, rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In looking at this full picture, there are times, like the few disciples on the mountain, when we are occasionally given glimpses of God's majesty breaking through we are privy to moments of great wonder and love where we are invited to be enveloped by all that is holy and divine and get to move in and with in a holy dance with the eternal being but we also share experiences with the disciples who were left in the valley below Presented with problems that we can't fix. No matter how hard we try. Because, my friends, there are some spirits that take hold. And there is no hope for redemption. And no hope for healing. Except from and through the physical presence of Christ. During my time at First United Methodist Church, in serving as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I have experienced moments of being on the mountain and moments of being in the valley. I have seen the eternal glory of God break through and I have felt weak and helpless, unable to save those who are hurting. And to be honest, today I'm not sure where I am, geographically speaking. And I say that because I am experiencing an inner striving, unrest, and imbalance. This week, through watching the general conference and reading all the news, I experienced and witnessed a state of latent hostility and opposition between individuals and groups. I feel I have been caught up in the act or action of being spiritually and emotionally stretched. I feel, what's the word? Oh, tense. I feel tense. I'm tense because I'm caught up in the tension of what I have experienced on the mountain as compared to what is currently happening in the valley. I know what is possible. I know what is coming. I have read the back of the book. This isn't the only time that Jesus lights up the sky. I know the glory of God can, has, and will continue to break through. But there are days when I am unclear about how or when that will happen. And it is because of my uncertainty because of my inability to successfully navigate the sometimes vast distances between the mountains and the valley, it is because I am not made to hold them in tension that God has told me something. And I don't say this often. But God has very clearly put a word on my heart for this morning. And that word is hush. I'll level with you. I don't like that word. (laughs) I don't care who says it to me. Who does God think God is telling me to hush, to listen to Jesus? I mean, I am called to a very clear mission of making disciples and transforming the world. And I don't do that quietly. I got an amen from my parents who were at the first service. I don't do that quietly. I am called to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. I am called to love my neighbor, to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, to clothe the naked, to proclaim release to the captives. And God said, oh yeah, that's great. But you're going to need Jesus to do all that. You're going to need the full Physical and tangible body of Christ to save this broken world. This isn't the part of my plan where Phil Woodson gets to save the world. There has never been any such plan. Now, hush, Philip. The kingdom of God will indeed break through, but not in any way that you can even begin to fathom. Be quiet, Philip. Listen. I've got this. And it's because I know God, but more importantly, because I trust God that I'm gonna do it. Lent begins in three days with an Ash Wednesday service at 7 p.m. And during this season of repentance, prayer, and submission, I am going to pick one day every week to be completely silent. If this resonates with you, please let me know. We can do it together but along with my silence and my listening i'm going to do my very best to let go of my tension to acknowledge that there are some problems that i can't fix and i am going to yield and rely fully on the tangible body of christ that is you the church. You are the body of Christ. So it is up to you to rebuke unclean spirits. It is up to you to heal those who are hurting. And it is up to you to reconcile the children of this world with their heavenly Father. Now on this last point, I want to be abundantly clear. I know I won't, but I'm gonna try. As individuals, as solitary mortal beings, we are limited in what we can accomplish, but together, united. And through this holy mystery that is communion, we gain the capacity to become the full and inclusive body of Christ. We get to take part in the holy dance of the eternal. We, like Christ, can experience the balanced tension of full humanity and full divinity and might therefore be transfigured. You, the congregation of First United Methodist Church, have the potential to glow, to commune with the saints, to go down into the valleys of this broken world and help a better one break through. This will not be easy. The only people to have ever accomplished this are the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we have been invited to join them in that dance to move in and around with them. They have made space for us to be in relationship with them, and they did it at great cost. And this morning we acknowledge and remember this cost. It is at this table where we are provided by God with the opportunity to unite with Christ, to be in holy union with our transfigured Lord and offer our very bodies over to the divine and holy mystery of becoming for the world the tangible body of Christ. There are some problems in this world that only Christ can fix but thanks be to God that you are Christ to this world. It is here where we are made one. It is here where the tension of sin and death literally pulls our God apart so that there is room for every person here to be invited into their oneness. It is here where the divine and the human meet and move. It is here where we are stretched, balanced, and transformed. It is here where God becomes incarnate in us. This is where we glow. This is where we commune. And this is where the glory of God breaks through.